Well, as promised, here we go. Christians and alcohol. As you might imagine, I have considered long and hard exactly where we need to be with this regard. I want to let you know, because of our diminished capacity with PowerPoint until we get the new screens installed and the new projectors installed, the PowerPoint slides are downloadable online. You can simply go and download them. You can also watch the video online. And then after service, if you want a CD of this message to hand to one of your friends who's maybe struggling with alcohol, maybe a family member who has an improper biblical view of it, uh, they'll be available, and they are also free, so you can take them and give them out. If you turn to John chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 7. We're going to go back to a verse that we covered uh, last Sunday morning, and a very important subject because the verses that are contained here in verses 7 through 11 in John 2 are very often one of the handful, and notice what I'm saying here, the handful of proof texts that people throw out to say that Scripture says drinking alcohol was actually encouraged by Jesus, or that it is something that the body of Christ should do uh, at, at the very worst that it's a liberty that we could engage in. And I want to take you through a journey through the Scriptures today, and I want to speak directly to your hearts and to your mind about this very important subject that I believe the enemy is using to destroy both the witness of the church and the individual lives of believers. I will not apologize for a single thing I'm going to say. There are some that are going to say, oh, he's a legalist. There are some who are probably going to say, I'm not going to go far enough. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm simply going to point you to the Word of God And I want to challenge you to allow me to speak into your lives to perhaps reshape the way you think about this particular subject. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your incredible word. And we pray now as we read it and study it and truly understand it uh, that you would speak into our lives. Lord, your word plainly declares that we are to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, that our lives are to be holy because you are holy, and that we bear the name of our Savior Jesus because we are, in fact, Christians. And so would you help us, Lord, to to handle this time today in a way that pleases you, doesn't fit into our culture, but pleases you. And we ask that you would bless us now as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. So here it goes, John 2, verse 7. And Jesus said to them, you remember the story, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it, and when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made to wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets forth out the good wine, And when the guests have drunk well, the inferior, and you have kept the good wine until now. And this was the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. This is one of those passages that people drag out. Look, here, three times. They're at a wedding, naturally. Of course Jesus is 
approving of the consumption of alcohol. Let me help you deconstruct that very thought right here and right now. And I want you to be very careful and listen well, and I'm going to ask you wine connoisseurs to bear with me. I'm going to ask those of you who right now, this very moment, believe that you have the liberty to drink alcohol to bear with me. I'm going to ask you to consider the full weight and the full measure of what Scripture declares as opposed to what you think based on some assumption that you have made in the past about this subject. Because it is my contention that most Christians have an improper view of this particular subject because they have not ever had a pastor do what I'm about to do. That is a shame on the church, and frankly, I I can't do it. I'm not going to tell you what you might want to hear today. And I make no apologies for it. You see, wine was a normal drink of that day. And so you have to be very careful about making doctrine out of something that was the situation then that is surely not the situation today. Nobody owned a refrigerator. Nobody had ice unless they went up to Mount Hermon and gathered some snow and figured out a way to carry it back to the region of Galilee some 65 miles away. Nobody had the capacity to hermetically seal anything. They knew nothing about pasteurization. The seals on their clay jars uh, were at times airtight. They could wax them closed, but that was not certainly the average person's reality. And so when wine was consumed, it was consumed for a very specific reason. They could grow grapes, but they could not keep grapes. If you've ever noticed, most grapes... Absolutely, at the end of the season, they all of a sudden just ripen nearly simultaneously across the whole vine. And so you can either choose to throw them away, allow them to drop on the ground, or you can figure out some way to try and contain all the the wonderful goodness of those grapes. That was done by pressing them and turning them into new wine. And that new wine, stored for any length of period of time, would turn into old wine, also called fermented wine. During that day and time when someone wanted to take that wine and drink it, not only did they not drink it full strength, but they normally mixed it about three parts or four parts to one. They would take one jar of wine and three jars of water, mix them together, and it was a form of early water purification. And so be careful about what you believe Jesus is saying here, we're going to inspect the word wine here shortly, but some scriptures to ponder, and I've I've posted these up. You'll be able to download them, so if you were to write really fast, you might get all of these in. You, You see, I can't tell you how many young people I've had come to me, well, you know, Jesus made water into wine. Of course it's okay to drink. I can't tell you how many adults have said the same thing to me. And I will usually say something along these lines. Well, do you always do everything Jesus tells you to do? (laughs) You know, like forgiving every person who offends you or doing good to those who spitefully use you? Do you do that all the time? And usually to cover their tracks, they'll say, sure. I'll usually say, liar. No, I don't. But 
That's what is what I'm thinking, just saying. Then I'll usually take him to Luke 22, verse 18, if you want to turn there. Verse 17 says, And then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, And take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So do you always do what Jesus says? Because if so, Jesus is a teetotaler. And he's in heaven right now. And nobody's supposed to be drinking. If that's how you're going to discern what this passage is saying. You see, the Bible is very clear on this. And so the only way to come to a proper understanding of the subject of Christians and alcohol is to not take out your proof text in a single verse or a couple of verses that have the word wine in them and say, you know, well, God just is okay with us drinking. Let's look at what the rest of Scripture says about the subject of alcohol, shall we? Is that okay with everybody this morning? Isaiah chapter 5, you see, because I'm guessing that most of you, like me, either know somebody or have been affected yourself or you will be affected by what alcohol has done to our society and, in fact, to this entire world. In one service, I had three ladies come to me. I I only stood in one line, just one section of the sanctuary, three of them who had lost family members to drunk drivers. Is alcohol really something we should be messing with as the children of God? Isaiah 5, verse 11 says this, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night, until the wine inflames inflames them. Woe to men, mighty men, at drinking wine. Woe to men who are valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. That's a little more specific than Jesus turned some water into wine, isn't it? Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Paul's admonition to the body of Christ, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. That word dissipation is very unique. It means diminished mental capability. It means that your mind is no longer fully controlled by the Spirit of God, but it is dissipated in its capacity to think and reason. But rather, be filled with the Spirit You see, perhaps you're in that category of people who think that this is just a liberty and Pastor Jeff should shut up and go sit down. And I'm saying that to probably some of you very directly this morning. Some of you are probably thinking that very thing right now. The reason I know that's true is that I had two people basically tell me that after first service. You had to go there, didn't you? Yes, I do. Let me tell you why. I am sick to death of the devil winning. I have reached in through car windows and held C-spine on the mom who's already killed her daughter because she drove drunk. I've sat at the hospital bed of paraplegics who are now in a wheelchair for the rest of their life because of a drunk driver. I have listened to countless destroyed marriages. I can't even begin to tell you or recount to you the number of times that I've heard the same basic story. 
my husband did this, my wife did that, and the result is our family is destroyed, and the secret ingredient is alcohol. First Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 says, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. The Apostle Paul in the context there is talking about all liberties, every liberty, every last thing that Scripture does not directly prohibit that the believer may possibly be able to do because it is not inherently listed as a sin. It says, beware, lest you who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ take up anything that causes your weak brother or sister to stumble. Can I tell you right now, today in the United States of America, there are 3.1 million high schoolers who are addicted to alcohol. Oh yeah, and that's right, the drinking age is well above the high school level. Beware. Paul writing to the church at Corinth in chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. Verse 23, it first gives a principle that applies to absolutely everything. You see, Jesus' words were unique, and we'll get to the word wine in just a moment. But Paul writing and applying it to everything, all things are lawful for me. We're free in Christ. One could say, as long as it's not inherently sin to me, I can do anything. That's true. However, all things are not helpful All things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but all things don't edify. All things don't build up. All things don't cause the glory of God to be made manifest amongst people. You see, when you start considering the entire Bible, you start to come to a slightly different conclusion about all liberties and very specifically ones that are patently destructive. Verse 31, that same chapter, and therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. I'm pretty sure that I cannot imagine Jesus sitting with the Dalmatian on the Budweiser wagon. I'm pretty sure that Jesus wouldn't have been found at the bar with the Friends TV show. I'm pretty sure because he knows exactly what that's doing to our world. This year, in our world, 3.3 million people will die because of the effects of alcohol, either from health-related problems, traffic accidents, or forms of violence where alcohol is the direct cause of action. Pretty sure Jesus is not okay with us promoting that. You see, sometimes we think very small when it comes to our own personal liberties. What your Bible declares is we're supposed to think about everyone else first. You realize that in our world, more people have died from alcohol related causes than all of the wars in the history of mankind. Did you hear what I just said? 
More people have died from alcohol-related causes than all of the wars in the history of mankind. So what do you think? Thinking that's something that we ought to encourage? Some liberty we ought to take, something we ought to show our children? You see, I've sat there when dads have driven up to the camp because we caught their son or their daughter, most often their son. And I've sat in my office with that child. And we're sending them home and dads come to get them. I don't know why you do this. Why don't you talk to my son? I said, no, why don't you talk to your son? I can't. What do you mean you can't? You don't have something to say on the subject? I usually will take him out of the room. What do you mean? I can't because I gave him his first drink. You understand what I'm saying? What you do matters. Your children's lives may well depend on it. Are you still sure that's a liberty you want to engage in? How does alcohol affect human beings? I could spend all afternoon just simply giving you statistics from the Centers from Disease, Centers of Disease Control in Atlanta or American Medical Association or Surgeon General's office. But a handful of things for you to think about. Three beers. 13% net reduction in your short-term memory. 40% increase in errors if you happen to be a typist. Your ability to make split-second decisions. Anybody know how much driving we do here in the city? I don't know about you, but with 100%, I'm not very good. I can't afford to lose 10. And perhaps the worst of all of this, alcohol is a poison. 100%. Can I have the doctor say amen in here? It's a poison. Alcohol is not good for the human body. Your body has to process it. The reason that people lose their livers, the reason that people end up with all manner of health problems is because your body is not supposed to have alcohol in it. It's no different than you overdosing on Tylenol or anything else. Your body has to process all of those chemicals. And if you take the most extreme cases of alcohol, hard liquor, your body reaches a level of roughly 5%, you are dead. It's a poison. You think Jesus was actually encouraging us to drink poison? I'm asking you questions because you need to think about these things. I already know where I stand. And I know what the Bible says. I'm hopefully encouraging you to think about the way you think. You see, you start ending up with all kinds of problems. How much? When? Is it okay if other people are drinking? Is it okay ever? 
I submit to you that the Bible in no way is ambiguous on this subject. There are two basic groups, two basic groups. One is, and probably some of you are going, the dude's a legalist. Uh, that's, the, that's the group that says, touch any alcohol, straight to the pit of hell with you. That's not what I'm saying. Alcohol is not a salvation issue, but it is a sanctification issue. The other group is, it's a liberty. Just leave it alone, Jeff. Go sit down. You're messing with my wine cellar right now. I'll never be able to enjoy another football game or baseball game. You're ruining it. You have the libertines. So you have the legalists on one side, the libertines on the other, and in between about every concoction of those two things mixed together that you can possibly imagine. Innumerable hybrids. But before those of you that are bent one way versus another tune me out, I would ask that you hear me out. What was Jesus saying in our passage? He uses the word wine three times. You see, to the Hebrew mind, in the whole of the Old Testament, two words are used for wine. One, very clearly, the Hebrew word terosh, and that is unfermented wine. It's grape juice, but they didn't use grape juice. They called both wine, but they used two different words for it. Yayin is the fermented type. But we have a problem in the New Testament, which is where this passage is being written, because there's exactly one word. And that one word is translated by its context. So what was Jesus saying? Do we honestly believe, do you and I want to sit here this morning and believe that Jesus was encouraging the manufacture of 180 gallons of a poison that is going to destroy the testimony of all of those that are in that room so that ultimately every last person in the entire population of Cana of Galilee and Nazareth is completely drunk out of their minds. I don't think so. And here's why we know that. Because the word is translated according to its context. And so as you look at this passage, what's Jesus actually doing? He's simply fulfilling a need for the host. He's not trying to get them drunk. He's simply taking care of a need. And furthermore, in the context, it says very clearly that you always put the new stuff out first and then the old. So the stuff that they're drinking, I believe, is the unfermented kind within its context. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, let's make a bunch of, you know, wine that's going to ruin them. Mark chapter 2 and verse 22, and it says in context, again, this is how you can judge these things. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskin. The wine is spilled, but the wineskins are ruined. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins. Very clear that what was made at first was unfermented grape juice from our perspective, and then to keep it so that they didn't have to throw it out, that fermentation process took place. It was still drinkable, but they would mix it with water. You see, sometimes people take a verse and they build doctrine on it, a very unwise thing. 
The word onis is a very specific word. When you look at the implications of Jesus doing this, let me kind of give you a couple of things here. When Jesus turns this water into wine, he couldn't possibly be saying, look, I hope everybody here gets completely sloshed so that the bride and the groom goes their merry way, stumbling down the path, vomiting. I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus was intending. So for those who said, well, he made 180 gallons of really good stuff, you kind of have a problem contextually. Furthermore, people will say, well, you know, Jesus used wine at the Passover. Again, be careful that you understand there's one word used for wine. What was Jesus doing? Can anybody in here tell me what the Jewish household went around their house trying to get rid of during Passover? Anybody know? Shout it out. Leaven. What ingredient do you need to turn grape juice into wine? Oops. Leaven. You see, you have to actually let it begin to spoil. It has to actually be exactly what the Jewish people were told to get out of their house in order for it to be fermented wine. It was new wine, and furthermore, Jesus said at Passover, this is the new wine of my new covenant. So be careful about building your case on one word but rather build your case on the totality of what Scripture very clearly says. The promise, uh, the, the process of fermentation was the very thing the Jewish people were to drive from their home. Next, the, what I call the alcohol hall of shame. The very first time in all of Scripture that we find the consumption of wine, it doesn't go so well. You know his name. His name is Noah. And what happens to him? He becomes completely dissipated of mind. He gets naked in front of his family, so much so that his own kids have to cover his shame. Can I tell you I've heard that story before, here and now? Families covering the shame of someone who thinks they have the liberty to drink. How about the next one? This is a real painful one for me because I've listened to this story more than once in my time as a camp director. It's a story of Lot. Lot got drunk, becomes easily seduced, and he has incestuous sexual relationships with his own daughters. I've had that lived out in my office at the camp more than once. My dad got drunk and raped me. How about the children of Israel? They decided to throw a little party. You notice how there's a constant theme here? They got drunk, they threw off their clothes, and did really dumb, horrible stuff. Still happening today, isn't it? How many people wake up in the morning and go, Oh my, what have I done? What have I done? 
I would have never done this had I been sober. I have heard that story hundreds of times. Furthermore, your Bible says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning to drink. Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has eyes of redness? Those who linger long over wine. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. How many college frat parties? Is that the basic context? Think about that liberty. Think about it in light of what the scriptures actually say about us who bear the mark and the image, the imprimatur of the Holy One of Israel, God incarnate in human flesh. The Hall of Shame is all there is in Scripture about the consumption of alcohol. Did you hear what I just said? The Hall of Shame is all there is in all of the Bible. There's not a single good story of people getting together and having a social event and people getting drunk and something bad doesn't happen. That is the story of the Bible. So when people say, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. Really? How about alcohol and your health? Brothers and sisters. Family. Let's talk about it. You were bought with a price. And therefore, Paul said, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You get the picture? If you're with us on Thursday night, read the first four verses of Romans chapter 12 and ask yourself a very simple question. Is drinking alcohol being conformed to this world or is it being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Which one is it? Because it's not both. You see, we belong to God. We are actually God's hands and feet in this world. We're his mouthpiece. What are you telling your children? What are you telling people who don't know the Lord? You see, you won't find Pastor Jeff at Costco with a basket full of booze. You know why? It's very simple. The moment that happens and one person sees me, my witness is destroyed in the world. I would not expect one of you to believe a single thing I said if I did that. Because Scripture is clear. It's not ambiguous. Alcohol is dangerous. Jesus knew it then. We know it now. From liver disease to dementia, the problems with alcohol, destroying your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, is an absolute fact. One in 16 people who ever take a single drink will become an addict. One in 16. It's poisonous to everyone. It destroys your organs. It shortens your life expectancy. 
I'm guessing there's not a single person in this room who would say, yes, every Christian should smoke. You know why we say that? Because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And smoking destroys your lungs, which is your body. It's the thing that God uses to move you around so you can do his work and his will and his way. It's very simple. The scriptures do have plenty to say. And alcohol, from a human perspective, is perhaps one of the most deadly substances on our planet. I got to admit, when people were saying, well, you know, what's the difference between marijuana and, and alcohol? You know, honestly, the, the intellectually honest answer is there is no difference. They're both drugs, they both diminish your mental capacity, they both will harm you. But the sad news of alcohol is this. Here in our country, talk to any law enforcement officer, 50% of all homicides have at least some component of alcohol. 50% of all people who die on our highways, alcohol is one of the causes, if not the primary cause. 50% of all people admitted to hospital emergency rooms, alcohol is in some way a part of the problem. 50% or more of all people incarcerated or in jail admit to alcohol abuse. 50% of all people arrested on domestic violence charges, alcohol is involved or a part. And 50% or more of all people born with birth defects, there is an alcohol history within the family. Do you really think Jesus wants us to do that? I'm just asking questions. And I'm telling you what the scriptures say. Becomes pretty clear to me. It becomes pretty clear to me. Oh, it might be a liberty. Can't look you in the eye and say if you had a glass of wine that you're inherently sinful. But I think when you start looking at the rest of scripture, you have to ask yourself some pretty strong questions. You have to ask yourself some strong questions. Is that the legacy you want to leave for your children? Some closing thoughts for you. Do you really want to do anything that helps out the devil? Because alcohol invites temptation. It invites temptation. It puts you in harm's way. It's the antithesis of James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. That's not resisting the devil. That's putting yourself in harm's way. Well, I'll just diminish my mental capacity. I'll just dumb myself down. You know, I've had a rough day. Jesus had the roughest day ever lived on this planet, and he did it without it. He actually rejected it, by the way. He was offered wine mixed with gall and anesthetic, and he said, no, I'd rather suffer. I'm doing it for them. I want to show them the way. Alcohol leads to tarnished testimonies, family. I can't even tell you how many painfully horrible stories I've listened to One of the most tragic things of being a camp director for 20 years is the children who have been taught how to live lives of sin by their own parents.
No, don't do as I do, just do as I say. I'm telling you not to drink. This is only for adults. Really? I don't think so. I think very often it's adults acting like children. Sorry, that probably stings. But it's also true. Unwilling to face reality. Unwilling to do the hard thing. Unwilling to stand when others fall. We're commanded in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 to come out from among them, the people of the world, and be separate and to not touch that which is unclean. Are we really doing that? Oh, and how about the other proof text? Well, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. Again, remember, there's only one word, oinas. Guess what? Jesus wouldn't have told anybody to do it, and Paul wouldn't have either, and here's why. Because alcohol causes ulcers. It doesn't fix them. And Jesus being God, Paul following along in his footsteps, was simply encouraging to do exactly what we tell people to do now, which is have some grape juice. It's a very strong antioxidant, and it's actually good for your stomach. So again, single word. How about medicinal use? Jesus was offered that wine. Strong drink. And the bottom line is, family, we're a nation of priests and kings. We're a nation of priests and kings. And when you look at what Scripture says about that subject, especially with the kings of the Old Testament, the priests of the Old Testament, they're repeatedly told over and over and over and over again, do not drink. Leviticus 10, don't drink wine or intoxicating drink, nor your sons with you, so that you will then not go to the tabernacle and in there die. Now because we're God's kids, because men, be the priest of your home. Be the priest of your home. Come out from among them, Put off the childish things and live your life in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. I know I'm being hard. I'm tired. I'm sick of listening to the stories of ruined lives. And I will do everything I can to stop it. And so I'm telling you the truth. There is not a single verse in all of Scripture that ever encourages you to drink alcoholic beverages. Not one. But there are dozens that tell you it's extremely dangerous. So what message do you think the entire Bible is sending us? It's not a wise thing not a God-honoring thing. At very best, it's a liberty that's extremely dangerous. But should it be something that we engage in? The reason that Paul wrote to deacons 
elders, bishops, and said, do not be given to wine. The reason being is the tarnished testimonies. The reason being is the diminished mental capacity. The reason being is that it destroys the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The reason being kings have made foolish decisions based on being drunk. The reason being is the alcohol hall of shame. The reason that he told them, don't consume yourself with this, is because it doesn't honor the Lord. It doesn't honor the Lord. And while the Bible inherently does not command total abstinence, I find it very hard to believe that anyone who actually knows what the Bible says would ever say that there's any case for Christians consuming alcohol. I pray that I don't have to do any more counseling appointments where a marriage is breaking up over alcohol. I pray that no one asks me to go talk to their kids again because their parents taught them how to drink. I pray that I don't ever have to go to another hospital bed to watch somebody die because they were killed by a drunk driver. I pray that I never have to sit with another paraplegic who can no longer walk because somebody drove down the highway drunk. I pray that we will live our lives godly in Christ Jesus and honor the Lord. Would you stand with me? And I realize I just preached. I realize it. I did it full well. I knew what I was doing. And I want to encourage you, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. And maybe today you don't have that total freedom. And I want to pray with you right now. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? And if you're here right now, maybe you're just struggling. Maybe you need an extra touch from the Lord because you're you're struggling with what I just said. Perhaps you're here today and (laughs) you drank before you came to church. Perhaps that's your plan for this afternoon. And you want God to touch you right now to give you strength. Because you want to be done with this habit once and for all right now. I'm here to tell you God can heal you right now. If that's you, maybe you just need to break the the family traditions. that's you, just slip your hand up. I want to pray with you right where you're at. Anyone at all? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that other hand. I see those hands. Hands are up all over. Just put your hand up. Nobody's looking. Nobody should look. Nobody should care. It's between you and God. Slip your hand. I'm just going to pray with you right where you're at. Anyone else? It's time, family. It's time that we stood strong. The world is a wreck. You want to be free. Just put your hand up. Father, thank you for these that are brave. They're not ashamed, Lord, of you, and you're not ashamed of them. And I want to pray for those that have raised their hands. They've been struggling, God. And some of them, no doubt, they've been struggling for a long time. And they haven't had victory. And, Lord, they're asking right now by that raised hand that you would set them free from the bondage of alcohol. 
Lord, maybe it's somebody in their life that's struggling. And Father, I want to pray that you would cause us to be a, a mighty witness in this world for the truth. Lord, we don't want to give the enemy any more opportunity to destroy lives. And so help us to set the standard high where you, Jesus, set it. We thank you, God, for the freedom that we have in Christ and for these that have raised their hands. In Jesus' name, would you just set them free, release them from the bondage, cause them to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of their flesh. Lord, we glorify your name. We bless your name. We declare that you alone are true and holy, and we want to live lives that are well-pleasing to you. We ask all this in the amazing, the wonderful, the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen.